Hello and welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Forrest Hansen. In our last episode, we covered enriching and absorbing, how to make a experience really salient, and then how to fully take it into you so it gets internalized as a lasting change in neural structure or function. This week, we're going to be applying that concept to key resource experiences. This is finding and growing the key strengths that would really help you these days. We touched on this topic a little bit during the episode on meeting your needs, and today we're really going to dive into that. So to guide us through all of that, I'm joined today, as always, by Dr. Rick Hansen. So, Dad, how are you doing? I'm good. Glad to be here. So what is a key resource experience? What do you mean by that phrase? Yeah, I really mean experiencing key resources and through experiencing them, developing them Mm -hmm. in a wonderful positive cycle because... Traits like mindfulness or grit or gratitude are grown from states that are then internalized Mm -hmm. to grow the trait. And then as you develop the trait, it tends to foster them as states. So Mm -hmm. the basic idea of key resources is to look for what's matched to an issue. Now, the issue might be an external condition like uh, caring for a young child or an aging parent Or the external condition might be needing to spend two hours a day commuting to and from a job, including maybe taking buses or other forms of public transportation. Uh, The issue could be a physical condition. Maybe it's a health problem. Maybe you've got chronic pain. Or the issue might be some longstanding tendencies or lingering wounds or issues going back into your childhood. So now you've got a challenge. There's an issue. The question is, what would be useful inside your own mind to deal with that issue? And this goes to the notion of matching. Because, for example, if you have a flat tire, Mm -hmm. putting more gas in your tank is not going to do the trick. It's not going to help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Flip it around the other way. If you have, for example, uh, uh, you know, you've run out of gas, uh, that spare tire in your trunk is not going to save you. So we want to find what's matched to the issue. So how can we go about finding what those key resources might be? The body, the experience is not as straightforward as looking at your gas tank and seeing whether it's going from full to empty. So how in our lives can we kind of diagnose those problems? Yeah, exactly right. The first way to answer the question is very close to your experience. And I find that there, there are three questions that are kind of haunting and poignant and powerful. The first is, What does my heart still long for? Mm. And a key point that I know we're going to talk about later is it's not so much what does your heart long for in terms of conditions or events Mm. or circumstances outside you. That's often where the question starts getting answered. But the key takeaway is what experience would you have? What would you feel? What would it be like for you on the inside if those conditions, events, circumstances were different? So deep down, what does your heart still long for? Second question, what would have made all the difference in the world? Mm. What would have made all the difference in the world in your previous job or your current job or your last relationship, your first marriage or your childhood? And again, here too, people often start by answering the question with external conditions. That's all right. What would you have felt on the inside out that would have made all the difference in the world? Maybe feeling loved, feeling precious, feeling special or prized, or maybe feeling capable, uh, maybe feeling potent rather than helpless. Whatever it might have been, what would have made all the difference in the world? The third heuristic question here is, 
what were the times in your life when you were at your best? Mm. Maybe it was just talking with somebody late at night in a train station. Maybe it was that week every summer you spent on your, your aunt and uncle's farm. Maybe it was when you were riding that horse. Or maybe it was when you were uh, figuring out something uh, mathematically. Mm. That's when you just felt kawoosh, really at your best. Yeah. And so when you were at your best, what was going on inside you? What was happening inside you? in those particular situations. For example, in my own case, one of the ways I really felt at my best when I was young uh, was being alone in wilderness. Mm. And so what was happening when I was alone in wilderness was a sense of capability rather than feeling inadequate. Also, there was a sense of agency, like I could do things instead of feeling kind of trapped and immobilized. There was a sense of capability because uh, I could figure out my way in the wilderness. Whatever it might have been, those all were present when I was in that situation or, or having that experience that really brought out the best in me. Mm -hmm. So earlier you mentioned matching. You mentioned finding a key resource out in the world and matching it to some key vulnerability that we might have. Those are all great ways to identify those resources that when you were at your best, how do we go about identifying our own vulnerabilities? Wow. Well, it they're often pretty obvious in the sense that... I mean, they might be obvious to you as an external person, but to me in the middle of my experience, sometimes they're pretty pretty not obvious. Well, what I do think. you mean by vulnerability? Do you mean what your need is or where does it hurt? Yeah, I mean, I mean either of those. Uh, mm -hmm. Really what your need is. I think that... I think that many people, and this is just my own opinion, yeah. that many people have vulnerabilities that they're not particularly aware of, or alternatively, they push them away. Yeah. Because starting to interact with that material, you're kind of opening up, as we've talked about in the past, the doorway to the basement of the mind. To a certain extent, we've, we've covered this concept a little bit, but I do think it's helpful just as we're talking about key resource experiences in more detail to return to that idea of how do I find what would be useful for me right now? Well, it's a great question, actually, now, now that I really get it. Vulnerability, it helps to recognize your bad habits, in a mm, sense. Mm -hmm. So let's say a person is vulnerable to eating sweets or drinking alcohol mm -hmm. or uh, getting fiery or frosty with other people. Mm -hmm. You could think of that. That's one way to think about it. Another way to think about it is where are you easily triggered? Like, for example... I'm not very easily triggered about physical safety. I tend to have a fair amount of confidence there. And I'm not really particularly triggered by a setback in mm -hmm. business. I get irritated or frustrated fairly briefly, and then I just kind of gather myself and keep on going. But interpersonally, mm. feeling dismissed or devalued, rejected, disrespected, that tends to zap me. Mm -hmm. based on my personal history. So that would be an example of having hot buttons, you know, where we're easily reactivated. And then I think a third way of tracking your vulnerabilities is to be aware of what you're just not that skillful about. Mm. You know, you mm -hmm. just, when, for example, somebody comes at you in a really assertive way and you get flustered and just, uh, I don't know how to respond, mm -hmm. that's a vulnerability. Yeah. So speaking about vulnerabilities, we have that underlying model in your work and in the book Resilient of three fundamental needs for safety, satisfaction, and connection. Do those vulnerabilities map to those needs in some way? I think they often do, but 
in a way, um, we have vulnerabilities in terms of different needs. Hmm. So maybe I'll just kind of walk through the needs and I'll give you a little example. So as you said, um, and it's a common model in psychology, it's this idea that uh, we, like any other animal, need to avoid harms for safety. We need to approach rewards for satisfaction, and we need to attach to others in various ways for connection. Okay, those are our needs. So then you think, all right, that gives us a kind of roadmap for identifying what are key resources for a person these days. Mm. To use myself as an example, when I grew up briefly, my needs for safety were handled. I didn't grow up in poverty, and I wasn't physically assaulted. I wasn't beaten. I didn't have big safety issues. Nor did I have big issues with satisfaction. Although we ate a lot of TV dinners, we had enough (laughs) food in the house. I was able to be successful in school and accomplish goals there. I didn't have big issues with satisfaction. But where I did have big issues was in terms of connection. Uh, My parents were both loving and decent, as you know, your grandparents, but they were not very good at empathy. So the normal needs for empathic supplies were kind of a real thin soup for me. Uh, And second, as a dorky kid who was also extremely young for grade, I had many moments of feeling dismissed or left out, not valued or prized in terms of inclusion, belonging, Mm -hmm. uh, being one of the cool kids. So I landed in college with this big hole in my heart related to my needs for connection. I tried to fill that hole initially by becoming tough and determined and kind of bossy and uh, which maybe was okay for my safety needs. I was also very defended, but it did not fill the hole in my heart. Mm. It was as if I had scurvy and I was trying to take in iron, Mm -hmm. you know, for safety. Also, I tried to fill that hole related to connection by satisfying myself with pleasures and partying and successful accomplishment at UCLA and all the rest of that. Maybe there's a place for some of that, but that was like taking vitamin B. It did not address the underlying scurvy or hole in my heart. It was only when I started turning toward social experiences, interpersonal supplies of feeling seen, included, and prized that I was able to gradually fill the hole in my heart. In other words, to build on the metaphor of the flat tire, it was only when I found the spare tire uh, of social supplies that I was able to fill myself up. So that's the big picture. And if you like, uh, we could talk through some key resources that relate to each one of these three needs and use that as a kind of roadmap. Okay, so can we talk through some of the key resources that relate to these three needs and and use them as a roadmap? Yeah. So let's start with safety. Let's say you're walking down a dark and scary street Mm -hmm. late at night and you don't feel that safe. What are some of the inner resources a person could draw upon to help themselves cope with and get through that experience? Well, they might remember other dark and scary alleyways they'd walked through in the past and how they went through them without actually being hurt. Great. They could think about their own resources that they have inside, their own physicality, their own ability to defend themselves. Mm Mm-hmm. They could think about, um, I mean, just speaking personally for a second, I kind of think back to the irrational fears I had in the past Mm -hmm. and how it turned out that the monster under the bed really wasn't much of a monster at all. So those are things that, that come to mind that somebody might do. Yeah. For example, you might reassure yourself 
with the knowledge and, and as well, kind of the feeling in the body mm-hmm. of strength and coping and the internalized sense in the body of being relieved mm-hmm. or reassured. You might yeah. call that up. Exactly right. A few others that are just super classic for dealing with anxiety. So I, I think about what are flags for issues with safety? And there are three major flags, anxiety, anger, and helplessness. Mm. Because a mobilization for helplessness is a fundamental um, signal of the, that the need for safety is not being met in the moment. All right? So if a person is dealing with a background sense of uneasiness that's quite common or irritability or a sense of they just can't do anything, um, it's helpful to focus on, I think, of four major resources for safety. Briefly, one, relaxing. Focusing on, for example, the sense of relaxing as you exhale, which is inherently uh, part of breathing because as you exhale, the parasympathetic wing of the nervous system gets engaged and it slows the heart rate. So repeatedly internalizing experiences of relaxing is a way to build up trait uh, relaxation inside yourself, which tends to bring down anxiety. Mm. Obviously, of course, we need to be able to get anxious about real threats, real monsters under the bed, if such yeah. exist, real saber-toothed tigers jumping out of the closet, let's say. But in general, uh, most of our anxiety um, is just a false alarm. Mm-hmm. All right. So a second major resource for safety is to recognize in the moment, again and again and again, when it's true, which is most of the time, that your body is basically all right right now. It's a primal signal of a sufficiency of safety that's coming up into your brain from your body that's telling your brain there's enough air to breathe, the heart is still beating, the internal organs are still working, there's no overwhelming pain, there's no terrible loss in the moment. In this moment at least, and this one, you're basically all right right now. That's the second major key. Third major key for safety is to um, recognize protections. For example, walking down that dark street, recognize that there are houses nearby, and in principle, if you called out, people would hear you, lights would come on, someone would call the police. There are street lights around you, or more generally in your life, there are uh, immediate resources like walls and deadbolts and locks and dogs. And more broadly, um, hopefully, there are things like traffic lights and nearby hospitals and paramedics and, you know, helpful police officers. So recognizing protections. And the fourth major resource for safety that is really under your control uh, is kind of present in what you brought up a moment ago, Forrest. It's the felt sense in your body of being strong, Mm. of being determined, capable, uh, which often has a sense in it of simply enduring. You don't need to be all macho or aggressive. Uh, Just knowing that you can endure is a way to feel strong. There are other key resources in addition to those four that I've named, but for people who are grappling repeatedly with anxiety or anger or sense of helplessness, those four experiences are really useful to repeatedly have and internalize. So those are some things you can draw upon if your need for safety is challenged. What about your need for satisfaction? What I mean by satisfaction is that we have needs for pleasure, 
-hmm. We have needs to feel like we're accomplishing various goals, we're progressing in life, we're successful, and we have related needs to feel that our life is rich and meaningful, not simply beige or gray or bland. So what happens when people feel frustrated in moving forward toward goals, or they feel disappointed, or maybe they've had a loss, or they have depressed mood? Any one of those is an example of a challenge uh, or the, to our need for satisfaction. There are multiple inner strengths that are good to develop that are particularly targeted for our need for satisfaction, and there are things that people can do in particular to build up these strengths. So I'll name a few of those here. One, gratitude. Classic value, lots of research on gratitude, a sense of thankfulness or an appreciation for what you've received. There are many opportunities a day to look around and see things that are um, given to you, like paper clips. I think about who invented paper clips, but thank you. Or flowers are blooming, or other people are kind to you, or we are uh, making use of so many contributions to us in addition to paper clips each and every day gratitude, or gladness, things that make you smile, things that make you happy, both that you encounter in your day and that you remember, like remembering a good time with friends that makes you laugh or uh, some goofball of a buddy in um, college. Uh, that, that's an opportunity to experience gladness. Wholesome pleasure, very wonderful and even primal um, way to build up an internal, unshakable core, if you will, of feeling already contented, already satisfied, like the pleasure of drinking water when you're thirsty, mm -hmm. or taking a breath when you feel a little short of breath, or eating something sweet, or rubbing something soft against your cheek. These are all wonderful ways to experience wholesome pleasure. Another one is to really try to recognize it when you accomplish little goals, mm -hmm. like finishing an email, washing a dish, folding a towel. Those are opportunities to have a sense of success and to feel in some way that you are a success. And then the last one is inherently available to us in every moment of consciousness, which is to kind of relax and widen your awareness to include a sense of everything landing on the windshield of consciousness, moment by moment by moment, all the bugs, in a sense, all the sounds, all the sights, all the sensations, all mm -hmm. the memories, all the thoughts, everything. There's an almost overwhelming fullness in every moment of consciousness inherently. And as we open to that almost overwhelming fullness, who could wish for anything more? Mm. So to round us out, what's particularly useful for dealing with issues around connection? I suspect that me going through this is sort of numbingly thorough, emphasize numbing, and the deep inherent point is resourcefulness, mm -hmm. is not letting yourself be defeated mm. in this life. The deep point is to keep in mind that there are opportunities all around us to experience needs being met, at least to some extent, never denying the ways that they're being thwarted, but to some extent, to experience that your needs are being met, and in the internalization of those experiences of your needs being met, you build up muscles to meet even more needs in the future. So there's a very deep and um, kind of muscular and self-reliant element in me going through this list. Mm -hmm. That said, connection, uh, our deep needs to attach to others and to feel cared about and to feel caring. So um, uh, evidence for or indicators of issues in that area are feelings of being left out, 
dismissed, sometimes called narcissistic injury, a sense of being devalued by others or that others are not empathizing with you or they don't care about you, they're not loyal to you. Another uh, example of issues in our in terms of connection is resentment, mm. where we feel aggrieved about something. So some of the primary internal psychological resources that are really useful for meeting your needs for connection and therefore it's useful to have experiences of these resources because that's the first necessary step of hardwiring them into your own nervous system and growing them. Key uh, experiences are, first, uh, any one of the five major ways to feel cared about. You can feel authentically included, seen, appreciated, liked, or loved. Any one of those low-hanging fruit is an opportunity to feel cared about. So look for opportunities for that as you move through your day. Flip the other way, opportunities to feel caring, to feel that you have compassion for others who are suffering, to feel that you have kindness in you, a, a, a wish that they be happy. Any one of those is an opportunity to feel that your needs for connection are being met. So earlier you made a reference to a distinction between conditions and experiences. That seems like a bit of a subtle distinction. Uh, what do you mean about that difference, and how can we kind of find it in our lives? Yeah, giving credit to you, Forrest, mm. as well. Um, in our book, Resilient, you were uh, the person who really, really highlighted this key point. Mm -hmm. And one way I've seen it show up for people is that today there's um, an aching in their heart mm -hmm. to be entirely loved and nurtured as should have happened when they were a child, yeah. but just didn't happen. Or related to that, a little different, but related to that, there's a longing in their heart to have a soulmate who cherishes and loves them as an adult partner, and they just don't have that person in their life. Well, what can you do about it? Underlining the recurring theme of resourcefulness and self-reliance and doing the best you can with where you are What's remarkable to appreciate is that even when it's true that a person will never experience the full pie, quote unquote, of being skillfully and lovingly cherished by a nurturing parent in this life, still, there are many aspects of that pie. There are many slices of that experiential pie that a person can still have an adulthood. Mm -hmm. A person can still in adulthood feel included, appreciated, seen, liked, and loved by other people. It's not exactly the same, uh, and there's no pretending that it's exactly the same as being an infant, cherished and nurtured and cradled in the arms of a loving mother or a loving father, mm -hmm. but still a large fraction of that experience can be had and in the process of having that experience, a person can receive it into themselves, internalize it, and even help it sink all the way down to the very youngest, longing, hungry layers of the strata of their psyche. And that illustrates the point that conditions or circumstances or events outside us are always most fundamentally a means to the end of the experiences that we would wish for ourselves or the experiences that we would wish for other people. That doesn't mean we should not intervene in the world around us 
of course we should do that. But the takeaway point is that the world around us at the end of the day is just kind of a bit player in what it's like to be you, the experiences you're having inside your own mind. And to realize that it's really up to you to um, shape and nudge and make use of the stream of your own consciousness in a way that is only lightly related to external conditions. Knowing that is wonderfully hopeful, especially the worse that your conditions are, because it means that no matter what is happening around you, you can look for opportunities to have the experiences that are most beneficial to you, including through simply intervening directly inside your own mind. And then once you're having those experiences, voila, you can then take them into yourself and um, feed that hungry heart. You had a really good metaphor for this that you wrote in the book about it's not the fancy car that a person really wants at the end of the day. It's the experience that the fancy car gives them. And I wondered if you could elaborate on that in, in a way that's more concrete than what I just talked about. <laughs> sure, yeah. To kind of take that and, and boil it down a little bit. In a practical way, it's that we all think that there are these things that we want in life. And the most conventional example is the nice car or yeah. the nice job or the nice relationship, wherever it might be that your primary needs are located. But most of the time, what we don't actually want is the nice car. We want the feeling of satisfaction that the nice car gives us. Yeah. Even if we can't have the nice car, we can have things that are like the nice car, mm -hmm. or we can have experiences that give us the same feeling mm -hmm. that that nice car gives us. Mm -hmm. And once we're able to decouple our attachment to the nice car from our desire for experiences like that thing, all of a sudden, all this opportunity appears for us to seek out those valuable experiences without being tied to the necessity of this kind of distant achievement, particularly, frankly, in a culture that tends to kick achievement down the road, yeah. that says, okay, you made this much this year, but what are you going to do for me next year? Yeah. In that kind of a cultural framework, it's really, really easy for us to constantly push our needs away and yeah. push our needs down the road. So it's really important for us to find the ways that we can satisfy those needs in the here and now. Mm -hmm. That's so well said. That's right. Well, it's like the, the mixing or confusion of means and ends. Yeah. And I think that that's really important because ends are really useful. Because the ends that you want are a really good indicator of what your needs are, mm. right? If you're somebody and what you really long for, what the, the end that you really desire is, is that soulmate, as you were referring to, mm -hmm. it speaks to a need for connection. Mm. And regardless of what your result is with regards to acquiring quote-unquote a soulmate, you can find that experience in many different ways. Mm -hmm. Whether it's by bonding more closely with friends and family, or it's by finding a group of people that you really like, you know, whatever yeah. it might be. And to be clear, you're not saying don't pursue that soulmate. Sure, yeah. But what you are saying that is so helpful is that along the way, even as, let's say, you're trying to have that soulmate or get that job that will enable you to get the car of your dreams, along the way, there are plenty of other opportunities to feel that your needs are being met. Mm -hmm. For me, the key takeaway is really what you're saying at the end there, which is that this is a very hopeful exercise. We can find the things that we really want and need 
blurring those two together in the kind of smudgy way that they're often blurred together. And we can identify the experiences that will really fill that hole in the heart in a meaningful, lasting way. So to recap some of the things that we talked about during this episode, we talked about identifying the key resources that you need in your life, finding and identifying your own vulnerabilities based on your personal history. Then you gave kind of an overview of the sorts of experiences that could be useful antidotes to vulnerabilities inside of specific strengths. So if you particularly have a need for resources related to connection, here are some ways to find them. Safety, here are some ways to find them. Then finally, at the end, we drew that distinction between means and ends. Is the car a means to an end or an end itself? Most of the time, the car is a means to an end. You get the car because you want to feel satisfied in some way. Well, are there other ways that you could feel satisfied even if you happen to never get the car? And once we decouple those two things, all of a sudden, all of this potential opens up in our lives to find enjoyment in many moments that we didn't necessarily think we would find it in at first. So next week, we're going to be taking a look at the final step of the heal process that's linking. Until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>